Welcome to the Declaration Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us. We pray that today's message encourages you and blesses you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit us at declaration.org. Church, I am so glad that you have joined us this morning. In fact, virtual high fives all the way around. Let's blow those comments up. Say hello to somebody in the in the in the Facebook feed there on Declaration.tv. Make sure that you're participating this morning. We're glad that you're here. I want to remind everybody, or maybe invite you. Maybe you haven't heard about it yet. But tonight at six thirty, Snyder Elementary, right off the ninety nine in Burnham Woods, we are having an incredible evening on this Pentecost Sunday. It's going to be worship, encouragement, prayer, community. It's a time of regathering. It's going to be a good night. So make sure that you bring some lawn chairs, uh, blankets for your family to sit on, canopies. We're going to have some barbecue at 630, and we're going to start pretty quickly after that. We even have a, a, a special uh, part of that worship time just for your kids. So there's something for the whole family. We hope that you'll come and be a part of that. All right, well, let's get started this morning. I wanted to start with a story that actually happened in 2015. I had two friends come to a youth camp that we are a part of called 220. And um, it was our 15-year anniversary at the time. One of them was an older gentleman who was um, serving with one of the churches that was there. Very um, anointed man of God. Um, one of those guys that's kind of a spiritual mentor to many. And then one of them was a friend of mine who just came as a visitor for a couple of evenings. And that friend had been through a really, really hard, probably eight years of life. I mean, just really difficult. Had been through a lot of different circumstances that had really just worn him down. And, um, and I would describe my friend who was visiting, this one who had struggled for so many years, I would describe him as an incredibly um, anointed person as well that God used in powerful ways. And here he comes to this camp. He's coming just to hang out, spend some time, and, and just be a part of worship and be a part of the, you know, the week for a few days. And, and um, it wasn't long until uh, we, we had, were kind of getting ready for the evening worship that night, and my buddy kind of disappeared for a few minutes. And and he comes back after a little bit, and he's visibly upset. I was like, hey, man, what's up? Are you, are you good? He goes, yeah, man, I'm good. We'll talk about it later. Well, just a few minutes after that, this older gentleman who was there um, serving with one of the groups came and found me, and he said, hey, who is your friend? And, and so I started talking to him, and I said, why? And he goes, well, he said, I ran into him at the sink in the bathroom, and as soon as I saw him, uh, I probably freaked him out because he said, I looked right at him and said, oh, my goodness, there is a lion inside of you, but you have forgotten who you are. And, man, something about that statement obviously shook my buddy because he had been through a really hard season of life. And, and somebody there was encouraging him, reminding him, man, there is a lion inside of you, but you've forgotten who you are. But as I thought about that story this week in writing this, this message Man, I thought that there's some big truth in that very story that's still applicable right now in 2020. Because see, by and large, on this Pentecost Sunday, I believe there's so many right now who claim the name Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. They claim um, Christianity. They're in the church today, but they have forgotten that there is a lion inside of them. They have forgotten who they are. See, for the last 19 years now through ministry, especially that, that camp called 220, I have said three things over and over and over to a couple of generations now of students and adults, really, because I think that it's applicable for everyone. And those three things are this. Remember who you are, remember whose you are, and remember what you're called to be. 
Remember who you are, remember whose you are, and remember what you're called to be. Now, see, in seasons like this one that we've been walking through here recently, it's really easy for us to get shell-shocked and feel sideswiped, if you will, and, and it becomes very easy to forget who we are and whose we are, who we belong to, what we have in Christ Jesus, what we're called to be. It's easy to begin believing the lies of the enemy, not understanding and believing that we have a, a value, we have such a purpose that God has created us on purpose and for purpose. And, and even as a society at large, I believe you know, while we've been going through this, this global crisis, this global pandemic, there's been another pandemic going on long before this, all throughout the church. And that pandemic is this, people who follow Jesus, who claim Christ, they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know who they truly belong to when it comes to him, that, that their life was paid at a very high cost of, of Jesus' life. And they don't understand what their calling is to be, what they're truly called to be. See, if we're talking about a church defined, we, we got to look at this because sometimes we need to be reminded of our identity in Christ. We need to, to remember, especially in moments like this one that we find ourselves in as of recent. We need to know, being so grounded on the foundation of understanding our identity, who we are in Jesus. We need to be reminded that we do have purpose, that, that we, we, we need to take time to recall and just remember, remember how good and how faithful God has been to us in our past. So many things that we may have walked through, just like my buddy who had gone through eight really hard years of life. And we need, to rem we need to remember sometimes and recall the faithfulness of God, how he, his hand has moved so many times in, in so many powerful ways in our lives, on our behalf. You know, we, we need to remember so that we can tell our souls, just like Psalm 46, tell our souls to be still and know that he is God. To, to, rem to remind ourselves that God is in control, just like Proverbs 16 and Proverbs 19 reminds us. Um, we need to remember so that just as Psalm 23 says at the, at the backside of that passage there, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. We, we need to be reminded of these things so that, so that we can remember and recall in moments that are really difficult, things like Romans 8, that we would know deep within our, our soul that God is somehow working all of these things together for the good. Somehow, even the things that the enemy means for evil, God is going to work for our good. He's working in our waiting. He's working behind the scenes, even when we don't know it, when we can't see it. Maybe even if we don't believe it right then in that moment. It's why we got to remind our souls that he is at work. And he, his promise is that he's working all things together for good. Or, or things like reminding ourselves that he's got good plans for us, plans for hope and purpose, plans not to harm us just as we see in Jeremiah 29. Today, just today, as, as I was finishing up this message, I got a text from a, a longtime ministry buddy of mine who probably about once a month, he just sends out a text to just encourage. And, and he put a quote in there from a man named Ed Newton. And that quote said this, it says, knowing that God is in the details of your future allows you to trust him in the disruption of your present. And I think that is so relevant right now for so many of us, especially applicable to this very thing we're talking about, remembering, remembering. You see, right now it's easy to hyper-focus on the panic and the fear and the anxiety and the, and, the, and the craze of this crisis. But for the mature believer, for the church defined, we're called to remember, to remember 
that God is with us, that God is for us, that God will not leave or forsake us, that God is in control and that God is still on his throne. He is right, he is mighty, he is good, and he is God. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember what we're called to be and whose we are. So let's focus on these very three things right now. Let's start with remember, remembering who we are, who we are in Christ. See, there's this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 that I, that I find to be a very strong, powerful word for us. And it begins, I believe, with this, this very charge to remember who we are. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It starts, I'm going I'm to be in the Passion Translation. This is how it reads. It says, from Peter. So it's saying, this letter is from Peter, who is an apostle of Jesus, the anointed one. And he's writing this to the chosen ones who have been scattered abroad like seed, it says. And I love that. Scattered abroad. They've been scattered. So he's trying to write them to encourage them, to, to remind them. They've been scattered like seed into the nations, living as refugees, um, to those living in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, all throughout the Roman provinces of Asia and Bithynia. And so that's who he's writing to. He's writing to these scattered, to these refugees. And you may be wondering, well, Pastor John, how is this relevant to us right now? I mean, how, how are you going to parlay this to that? You know, let me, let me help you. Because today, here's what I believe. I believe there's so many of us right now in, in life that, man, we, have feel, we feel completely scattered. We feel completely sifted. We feel completely shaken. This COVID crisis has cost us more than we could ever imagine. Man, many of us have been gripped by such anxiety and fear. Many feel like this season has completely depleted them. Many feel at best just delirious in this moment, trying to figure out some sort of road to recovery. So as Peter speaks to the chosen ones who have been scattered, and I want you to notice it says right here in the Passion Translation, I like, this is why I wanted to use this translation because it says they've been scattered like seed. I want you to know just as Peter is speaking to them, I believe God has told me to speak to you today, to you, the chosen ones, the remnants and the refugees of this present age, to those of us who may feel like we've been scattered and we may feel isolated and we may feel alone for those who don't know where our peeps are at. All right. For those who don't know the status of life as we once knew it, or even the status of church the way we once knew it. And I just want to say, just as Peter starts to speak to these people, I, I, I believe he's speaking to us, and I want to speak to us and say, be encouraged. Be encouraged. See, I believe that God will use us in this season of shaking and scattering as seeds to bring forth a fruitful harvest if we will let him, if we will allow him to define not just our present, but our future, if we will allow him to reconcile and redeem our past so that we can leave it exactly there in our past so that we can step into this new momentum of his movement that he's calling us into in the future. I believe God will use us in this season of shaking and scattering as seeds to bring forth a fruitful harvest. So Peter goes on to encourage in verse two, he says this, you are not forgotten for you have been chosen. Man, I love that. You are not forgotten. You've been chosen. Listen to me, everybody. For everyone who has ears to hear and you're hearing my voice right now, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. You have not been forgotten, you have been chosen. Maybe, maybe you're sitting at the end of your rope. I've got a friend named Tully and Chavijan who said this, God's office is at the end of your rope, and I love that. You're not forgotten. 
You've been chosen for such a time as this. God has a plan. We have to remember who we are in Christ Jesus. I know right now it's very easy to feel forgotten, to wonder, God, where are you? In fact, I've spent some time over the last eight, nine weeks trying to help people, trying to encourage people, trying to address that very question with them and and for them. It's easy to feel forgotten. Let me illustrate like this. How many, of, how many of you have seen that Hallmark Christmas movie, right, where there's always a little girl in the mix, and, 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 and there's always this overworked, underpaid, but somehow seemingly independent, wealthy, professional working dad um, who is extremely busy and often not really in the picture as often as he should be or as much as he should be, but all the kid really desperately wants for Christmas is for dad to make it in time for her to sing in that annual Christmas play. She wants him to hear her sing so bad. You know the storyline. I mean, it's every one of the Hallmark movies, right? And somehow it just so happens that right at that pivotal moment where she's about to sing, dad kind of sneaks into the back of the room just as the kid begins to sing, you know, and, and, um, and man, it's just then that we as the audience, we are met with the crescendo of the cinematic scoring and the music followed by the dramatic close-up of dad's face. And, and as he's tearing up because he finally got his life right and his priorities are in line to realize he didn't really need that cray-cray job anyway. After all, he has a cabin in the mountains and a really cool truck and a smoking hot new girlfriend that works at the bookstore or the bakery. And, and they only met because of her car crash into the snow and all that stuff. And somehow she also happens to be independently wealthy and, and she She's able to take the whole winter off to actually be the babysitter to the daughter. I mean, do you see how the story goes, right? Come on, everybody. And and then there it is. Same plot, every movie. It's just then at that moment, though, that we see this in little Susie's eyes as she begins to sing Silent Night, and she catches a glimpse of of her dad in the back of the room in the audience, and this huge smile comes across her face. You know the scene, right? Because she realizes, Dad didn't forget me. He didn't forget me, as dramatic as I played that up to be, right? It's really no comparison to how God could never and would never, ever forget you. Listen, Peter is reminding us, verse 2, you're not forgotten. You have been chosen, but it goes on. You've been chosen, and you've been destined by Father God. You're not forgotten. You were chosen. He picked you, and if that's not enough, Peter goes on to say, you've been chosen and destined by Father God. See, we need to remember who we are. And we need to remember whose we are, who we belong to. We belong to Jesus. We belong to Father God. We are his kids. And, and let me just say this. Listen, as, as, even more than I love my kids and even more than you could ever love your kids if you have those. <laughs> it is so hard for us to fathom that, I mean, think about it. It's hard for us to fathom. But infinitely more than our love could ever be for our own kids is the love of our Father for us. Infinitely more. See, we have a promise of destiny because of who our dad is. We have a promise of destiny simply because of who our dad is. Now, I want you to imagine with me the price and the privilege of being the kid of an American president. Think about that for just a second. Now, we've seen this play out a little bit over the years. Uh, For some of you, you remember when Jimmy Carter's daughter was in the White House. Um, Maybe some of you even remember John Kennedy Jr. 
and, um, and just his life that ended in tragedy. Chelsea Clinton, maybe I'm getting a little warmer. Most of you remember Chelsea, maybe the Bush girls or the Obama girls or now Baron Trump. Can you imagine the price and the privilege of being the kid of an American president to pay this, this hard price for the spotlight that they've not asked for and to live under this microscope that they don't really deserve to live under. But it's as if there is this American, you know, American dream promise of greatness for these kids simply because of who their dad is. I know, it's, it's, it's not the greatest illustration, but it helps us to kind of tee up to understand what I'm trying to say. Man, we have not been forgotten. We've been chosen. we got to remember who we are. We've been destined because of who our dad is. And, and, and even to, to play off that, that story, that illustration, it, it could not compare to the destiny that God has created you for. Did you know that he created this destiny before he created you? So he created you with that destiny in mind. Man, that's so encouraging. Ephesians chapter 2. Man, remember who you are. We have destiny because of who our dad is. Remember whose you are. Remember, consider the name that you wear. Instead of feeling forgotten, man, we... We should feel privileged. We should feel gratitude. We should feel hopeful. We should feel joyful. And can I say this? Because oftentimes in the church, I run into this as a pastor, and it, it's probably one of the more difficult things I run into, but I run into an unknown self-centeredness of people who constantly are staring at themselves in the mirror, and, and they, they hyper-focus on how they don't feel connected or forgotten. It's as if they, they, they have found themselves to be at a sixth grade dance, standing on the wall, just begging, waiting for anyone to notice them and maybe even come and ask them to dance. But let me say this, listen. If all we can do is focus on our feelings of being forgotten, we are probably focusing a little too much on ourselves. And we need to turn our attention. We need to turn our perspective differently. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about who he is in us, what he has done to purchase us and what he desires to do in and through us. See, a church defined is a church destined. A church defined is a church, a church that's destined. She knows who she is. She knows whose she is, who she belongs to. A church defined is a church destined. She knows the reason for her destiny because of her dad. Peter goes on, the Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones, obedient followers of Jesus Christ who have been glorious, gloriously sprinkled by his blood. Man, what a powerful verse. What a powerful verse. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones, obedient followers, obedient followers. See, Many of us today tragically are confused a little bit. We don't understand the extravagant privilege of being set apart because we're too busy thinking that we are entitled to be set apart. But listen, the Holy Spirit has set us apart to be God's holy ones. Holy means set apart. Obedient, that's a word right there that, man, we struggle. We don't struggle with reading the word. We struggle with living the word. Obedient followers of Jesus Christ who have been gloriously sprinkled with his blood. Holiness, set apartness, belonging to God, his followers, obedience. See, we follow him. We deny self. We follow him. We die to self. We live for him. 
We follow him and it's not the other way around. We, I'm afraid that tragically a lot of us have bought into a, an Americanized theology of God follows us. We don't follow him, but we, we are to follow him. And that's the way this word tells us that it is to be. We follow him. See, one of our issues is we tend to ask God to bless our thing rather than just yielding to the, the blessed thing that he's given to us and called us to. Man, I love that. Gloriously sprinkled with his blood, cleansed, made right, purified. Because of this, it says, may God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times over. May, his, may, may he lavish you with his love. May, may his peace and mercy be lavished upon you. Grace, that's exactly what it means. God's riches at Christ's expense, lavished upon you, cascading over you, wave after wave, many times over. Peter goes on to verse 3. He says, celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has shown us his extravagant mercy. He goes on, for, for his fountain of mercy has given us new life. We are reborn to experience this living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, Peter right here, he's saying, man, you better celebrate. Somebody better take a praise break for this. You better look at that passage and realize everything that's being said right there. Realize who you are. Realize what you have in Christ. See your life through these lenses, through the lenses of grace, through the lenses of gratitude, through the lenses of this extravagant mercy poured out upon us because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through the lenses of understanding that, that we have been reborn to experience, to encounter this living, energetic hope all through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And man, this is the gospel right here. Peter's saying, celebrate, remember, realize who you are. This should be our perspective. We have so much reason for joy. We have so much reason for praise. We have so much reason to celebrate, so much reason for gratitude. For because for his fountain of mercy has given us new life. And we're reborn to experience a living energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We're reborn also into this perfect inheritance, verse 4. It says that can never perish, never be defiled, never diminish. And it says it's promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. Man, all of these promises of God, just I'm, I'm praying these promises of God are just pouring over your life right now, reminding you, setting your heart and your soul to recall the goodness and faithfulness of God. We were reborn to this perfect inheritance that can never die, never be defiled, and never diminish. Listen to me. For those of us who feel like we're always operating half empty, man, You've got a God who his supply never runs low and never runs out. You have this perfect inheritance that will never die, will never be defiled, and will never diminish. God is not just enough. He is more than enough. God is not just faithful. He is more than faithful. Man, you can take God's promise to the bank every time. And this is a promise of God to you and to me. It is, a, it is promised and preserved, Scripture says, no matter what, forever. Verse five, through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy, it says, even though lately you've had to put up with the grief of many trials right there, right there. Even though lately, many of us, the whole world has had to put up with the grief of many trials. There's no trial greater than the greatness of the good news of Jesus. 
And no matter the trial, no matter the suffering, no matter the circumstance, no matter the fight, no matter the grief, the agony, the anxiety, no matter, may our hearts constantly be guarded that we might, it, the, the, the realization of this might cause us to jump for joy. I mean, literally. Man, if that doesn't give you a descriptor of what our worship should be looking like right now as a church, I don't know what will. I don't know how anybody, honestly, I've, 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 I've encountered God in such incredibly powerful, powerful ways and moments before. It's so hard for me to ever go back to what was before, what, what I thought of God before that moment. I don't know if I'm clearly articulating this. I used to, I used to try to illustrate it by saying, you know, when, when my son, my oldest son, Jaden, was a toddler, um, he had never tried Diet Coke before, and, and that was my drink of choice. And, and one, one day, he, he, he kind of toddled over and grabbed a hold of my drink and took a swig of that Diet Coke, and guess what? He never wanted his sippy cup ever again. He wanted mine. And see, that's the way it's been with me and God. Encountering God in this, in this powerful, the only way I can describe it, a supernatural way, and, and, and it, it changes me. It, it does not allow me to just, you know, um, it doesn't allow me to just be some bored spectator of worship, but, but it, 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 it drives me, it calls and compels me to not just spectate, but to participate as a passionate worshiper, to jump for joy, no matter some of the things that I've endured and gone through, some of the things my family have endured and gone through. And, I, and I'm just encouraging you, as Peter's encouraging these I'm hopeful that I'm encouraging you that, yes, the trial that we have faced is great, but it is not greater than the greatness of God. And because of who he is, and because of what he's done, and because of what he's doing in and through us, man, we should jump for joy. We have so much to celebrate, even more because of who we are in Christ and the fact that through Jesus and through his sacrifice, we have a promise of inheritance. We have new life. We are reborn. We are redeemed. And we can live this life no matter what with, with this living energetic hope that we see in verse four that we find through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow, amen and amen. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember what you're called to be. Now, Peter goes on from verse 7 through verse 12 with continued great encouragement. And I encourage you to go read that, but we're going to go down to verse 13 as he begins. And he begins to give us a list of things because we focused right now on remembering who we are and whose we are. But I want to turn the corner. I want to turn the corner because I believe Peter turns the corner right here. He is now giving focus and clarity and definition, if you will, to the bride of Christ, to the church, to those who claim Jesus, to follow Jesus. And can I say this? I know there's a, a very popular campaign going on right now for people who, who want to just kind of create an excuse for not be a part of a church. But listen, you cannot, um, <laughs> you cannot separate being a follower of Jesus from his church. It's, it's like you trying to say, hey, Jesus, you know, God, I really love your son, but I can't stand your son's wife. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. These things are, they're inclusive of one another. And so Peter is giving us focus. As followers of Jesus, you are the church. And he's saying this in 13. He says, so then because of these things that we've discussed, basically, he's saying because of who you are and whose you are and what you're called to be, he's saying prepare your hearts and your minds for action. And this is where I really want us to begin to hone in, church. Right now, we've been through a season of trial. I pray that all through that season, we've, 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 
recalled in our hearts and mind and our souls and remembered. And right now, we need to prepare our hearts and our minds for action. We need to prepare our hands for action. We need to do what he says and stay alert. He says, stay alert and fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. For when Christ Jesus is unveiled, a greater measure of grace will be released to you. And, and here's what you need to know. Yes, man, we, we, have this, we have so much revelation up to now. But I'm gonna tell you right now, when God comes back, when Jesus comes back for us, a greater measure of grace is gonna be released. More and more and more. God has so much, there's so much moreness to God. Please hear me. You know, one time I was, I was in my traveling days, somehow I ended up in the house of some people who were very, very good friends with Henry Blackaby, that man that wrote literally experiencing God. They were deep, dear friends of this family. And there I was standing in their home and they were kind of theologically arguing about something. And one of them said, all these people who just keep asking for more from God, they've got all of God they're ever gonna have. And I just sat there listening. I was like, how in the world can you really believe in your finite human understanding that you have all the God that you'll ever have? Listen, if I've got all the God that I'll ever have, if you have all the God that you're ever gonna have, then our God's not very big now, is he? Man, there's more to God and that is the mystery that, that, that's the privilege and the mystery that we get to chase now. <laughs> Prepare your hearts and minds for action. Stay alert. Fix your hope firmly on this marvelous grace. And then he calls us to go deeper. Look at verse 14. As God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know any better. Man, this, 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 could, this could go into a whole nother series right here. But here it is, a church defined as a church called the holiness, not just destiny, but holiness. And this is what God is saying. He, he's saying, man, never again, be obedient. Follow my ways. If you've been reborn, never again shape your lives to become like you were before you knew me. Don't shape your lives by the desires that you once followed when you didn't know better, he's saying. Don't return to your past and forego your future. Don't disregard your destiny, he's saying. Don't be shaped by the desires of who you were because in Christ, it's not who you are anymore. My heart's been broken recently as I continue to, to check up on people who I love. And I don't wanna be judgy, um, but I've been troubled because I'm watching everyone's life play out on social media and it, and, and I'm, and it grieves me what I'm seeing on, on some levels. It grieves me how ambivalent that we've become to speaking curses and, and debating things that don't matter. Biblically, we're not to do that anyway. And, and, and honestly, just speaking in ways that are not becoming of the bride of Christ, using language on social media as if no one sees that, as if God doesn't see that. And we're called to more, we're called to deeper, we're called to better, we're called to holiness and purity. And, and right here, verse 14, as God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires that you follow when you didn't know any better. I'm wondering, does our lives look like, when people look at the church right now, do our lives look like missionaries or the mission field? When they see us, you know, what are they seeing? Don't be shaped by the desires of who you were because in Christ Jesus, to be reborn that's not who you are anymore. Instead, verse 15, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. Become more and more like Jesus in every, in every way and every day. Imitate him. Be like him. Be so enamored with who he is 
until who he is becomes more of who you are. That's, that's the prayer. That's my prayer. And that's my prayer for all of us. Verse 16, for scripture says, you're to be holy because I am holy. You are to be set apart, he's saying, because I am set apart. You are my child. You, I, have, I have paid the ransom for your life. You were called to more. You were called to more. And this is God's invitation to us, to be reborn, to be made brand new, to live this energetic, abundant, grace, and mercy-filled life of hope. Verse 17, since you call on him as your heavenly father, the impartial judge who judges according to each one's works lives each day with holy awe. He says, live each day with holy awe and reverence throughout your time on this earth. Here's what he's saying. (laughs) Since you call him father, you know, the impartial judge who judges according to each one's works. See, there's two judgments. There's the first judgment. What did you do with Jesus? And then secondly, what did you do because of Jesus? So he's saying, Hey, live each day with an holy, just this holy awe and reverence throughout every day that God has ordained for you to live and breathe on this planet. For you know that your lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and futile way of life that's been handed down from generation to generation. It was not a ransom payment of silver or gold, which eventually perishes, but the precious blood of Christ, who like a spotless, unblemished lamb, was sacrificed for you and for me. This was part of God's plan, he says, for he was chosen and destined for this before the foundation of the earth was laid, but he has been made manifest in these last days for you and for me. It is through him that we now believe in God who raised him from the dead Jesus he raised Jesus from the dead he glorified him so that you and I would fasten our faith and our hope in God alone remember who you are remember whose you are you were paid with a very high and precious price Peter ends this passage with something that is so relevant for our day and in the hour that we're in right this very second If you've watched the news in the last few days, this should speak to every single one of us. Now, because of your obedience to the truth, you have purified your very souls, and this empowers you to be full of love for your fellow believers. So express this sincere love toward one another passionately and with a pure heart. And with a pure heart. But can I just say this? God is love. If we're to be like God, then we are to love. And not to... You know, not to make a political statement, it's not political, it's theological. But listen, you, you cannot claim the love of God and be a racist at the same time. You can't do it. It doesn't work. You can't do it. You cannot claim the love of God and understand the sacrifice of Jesus, paying the price for every man, boy, girl, woman, every race, every color every tribe every tongue because God so loved the world you cannot say you love God while you hate someone created in the very image of God it doesn't work and so Peter is calling us into this deeper place of not only destiny but holiness but also love he's calling us to love to understand that because of our obedience to the truth of who Jesus is, we've been purified. And this empowers us now to be filled with love. This is why in declaration we say love God, serve people and live loud. That we would love God so much that we can't help it, but we love people. We can't help it. Verse 23, 
For through the eternal and living word of God, you have been born again. And this seed, remember in the beginning how Peter used that as an illustration, this seed that he planted within you can never be destroyed, but will live and grow inside of you forever. Now listen, I know this has been a hard season. I know it's been tough, but, but we can be so encouraged that the shaking and the sifting of this season, God can use for defining reasons. We have to remember who we are. We have to remember whose we are. And we have to remember who and what we are called to be. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, as we begin to close here, says this. You are a chosen people. Not forgotten. You're chosen. A royal priesthood. A holy, set-apart nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Remember who you are and whose you are. Now, as we close, when thinking of this message, I read a story. It was in the October 1976 issue of Theology News and Notes. How about that? (laughs) Makes me sound kind of nerdy. Okay. It was a story of an eagle, and this is how it read. It says this, while walking through the forest one day, a man found this, this young eagle who had fallen out of his nest. It's a, kind of a baby eagle. He, the man took it home with him and put it in his barnyard where that little eagle soon learned to eat and behave like his chickens. And one day, this naturalist passed by the farm and asked why it was that the king of, of all birds should be confined to live in the barnyard with the chickens. Well, the farmer kind of, you know, replies, since he'd given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, it had never really learned to fly. And so therefore, he just kind of hung out with the chickens. Now he behaved like a chicken. So, you know, he didn't even know he was an eagle. So practically for all purposes, he was no longer an eagle. But still, still, it has the heart of an eagle, replies the naturalist, and can surely be taught to fly. So what did he do? He went in, he grabs that eagle, and he he lifts it toward the sky and says, you, eagle, belong in the sky and not on this earth, so stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle, however, was very confused. He didn't know who he was. And seeing the chickens eating their food, he jumps down so that he can be with them again and continue doing what he was doing. It's tragic, now listen, it's tragic how we will often simply settle for so much less when we don't realize who we are and what we have, right? So let's continue. The naturalist, he he took the bird to the roof of the house now, and, and he urged this bird again, saying, you are an eagle, stretch forth your wings and fly. But the eagle was afraid of his unknown self and world and jumped down once more to go down to the ground for the chicken food. And finally, this naturalist so frustrated, he took the eagle out of the barnyard and up to a high mountain. And there he, he held the king of the birds high above him and encouraged him again, saying, you are an eagle. You belong in the sky, so stretch forth your wings and fly. And this eagle began to look around and, you know, back towards the barnyard and to the sky and back towards the barnyard and to the sky. But it was then that that naturalist lifted him straight towards the sun. And it happened that the eagle began to kind of tremble and shake. And slowly that eagle stretched his wings, and with this triumphant cry, he begins to soar away into the heavens. It might be that that eagle might actually still remember his time with the chickens, but see, he finally realized who he was. He finally realized what he had and what he was really called and created to do. After all, he was an eagle. 
He was the son of the king of all the birds in the sky, if you will. And as far as anyone knows, um, he never returned back to that ordinary life that he led as a chicken. See, listen, sometimes we got to remember um, who we are. We got to get proper perspective. Some of us, some of us have literally not realized man, what we're called to be, who we're called to be. Some of us, we have forgotten that there is a lion inside of us. There's a lion inside of us. We got to remember who we are. You got to remember who you are. We need, we need to remember whose we are, who we belong to. And we need to remember who we're called to be. Let me pray for you this morning. If you will, just close your eyes. I just want to pray right now for you in Jesus' name. Maybe, maybe um, today is a day that God will begin to, to um, let you see that the shaking taking place is far more than about a pandemic called COVID. It's far more than about a sickness or, but, but he is using it to shake you to realize just who he's called you and created you to be. That's my prayer. Father, would you speak deeply to the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl? God, would you remind us who we are, who you've created us and called us to be? Remind us the price that you paid that we would be so overwhelmed and enamored by who you are and the greatness of who you are and and all that, that you've given to us because of your sacrifice and resurrection. God, thank you for the good news of your gospel message of the kingdom that that you want to invite us into your kingdom as princes and princesses, as royal priesthood, chosen generation. God, you've not forgotten us. You see exactly where we are. You know us, you love us, you hear us, you validate us. While we continue to try to be seen, heard, and validated by the world, may we stop that. May we not grieve you, Holy Spirit. Because, Holy Spirit, you have set us apart for so much more. Remind us of this, Jesus. A church defined is a church destined. It's a church destined. And you have a destiny for each and every one of us. We pray this in your name, all of this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.